You need to figure out those behaviors that drive success in your organization will get you the right results you want, and then recognize the heck out of those things. And guess what will happen? You'll see more of it, and you'll get the results that you want. You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life, and how you can do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from Indra Nuyi, you can power your own success. My guest today, David Novak, is the co-founder and retired chairman and CEO of Yum Brands, one of the world's largest restaurant companies. Under his 17-year leadership, Yum Brands doubled in size to over 45,000 restaurants and grew from a $4 billion to a $30 billion market cap company. David is also the founder and CEO of David Novak Leadership, the parent organization to five nonprofits dedicated to developing leaders at every stage of life from ages 5 to 65. He's also the New York Times bestselling author of several books, including a new one, Take Charge of You, which is now available wherever books are sold. David, thanks for joining us on the Elevate podcast. I look forward to talking to you, Robert. So I always find it interesting to start uh, early, and, and I know you have a pretty interesting childhood story. So what, what were your early years like, and what were some of the important lessons that you learned? Yeah. Well, my dad was a government surveyor, and uh, he was in a surveying party, and we had about 15 people in that party that worked with his group. And, uh, you know, we would move every three months in small town America. I was born in Beeville, Texas, and I lived in small towns uh, like Chama, New Mexico, Detroit Lakes, Minnesota, Kimmel, Nebraska, you know, Dodge City, Kansas. I lived in Dodge City, Kansas twice, if you can believe that. But we would move every three months. My dad would survey the longitude and latitude points along with the other team members. We lived in a trailer. What were they surveying? So what exactly were they surveying? Longitude and latitude points, which really laid the foundation for... uh, uh, the GPS uh, system today. They didn't know it when they were doing it, obviously. Um, so they're but, like recording locations. I mean, yeah, I, what I know yeah. servers, the people that come outside your house and do your property line. Now, they, <laughs> they, this was for map making and yeah. highway uh, development and all that kind of good stuff. And so anyway, um, you know, I moved all over the place. My mom would check me into school uh, every three months and say, hey, David, you better make friends. We're leaving. And uh, But it was really an idyllic childhood. You know, I had great parents and, um, you know, I thought everybody did what I did, you know, and, uh, you know, you know, when you move every three months and you go into new schools, you have to work, you get good learn at how it. to, yeah, you learn how to, you know, work through anxiety. You learn how to make friends. I learned you're only one friend away from happiness. You know, I, I had to get the lay of the land in a hurry, but, you know, you had to go in, kind of scope out the kids, figure out who the good ones were, who the bad ones were, who you wanted to hang with, make friends as fast as you could. And, and then you left. I feel like it's almost a little like the movie Groundhog Day. You could just try a different strategy if the last one, you know, didn't, didn't uh, yeah. work. Well, you know, I think, isn't that the way our life is? You, you yeah. constantly evolve. You constantly learn. You you look for ways to to grow. But it was a great, great experience. My, my parents uh, had high school educations. Uh, what they wanted for me more than anything was to get a college education and pursue the American dream. Um you know, my mom, she really thought it was important that I go to high school in one place. So, you know, we lived in a trailer for all those years. Uh, and then when I moved to Kansas City, we my dad got what they called a permanent job. Is still was with the government, you know, but he didn't have to move. 
And, uh, you know, I remember them counting out their government bonds uh, for their down payment on their first house and, uh, you know, watching that all, all transpire. Um, but I went to the University of Missouri, mainly because it was in-state tuition. But I did have a big uh, uh, penchant for, for journalism. I was the editor of my high school newspaper, sports editor, all that kind of good stuff. And the University of Missouri is a big journalism school. And I was a terrible student the first couple of years, Robert. And, you know, I mean, I, you couldn't be much worse. But uh, when I got to be a junior and I was in journalism school, you know, I took some marketing and advertising courses and I absolutely loved it. And I found my passion. And then all of a sudden I became a really good student because I like doing, like studying. And I like learning about the, uh, that vocation. But I started out in a very uh, humble job. I uh, worked at uh, a small advertising agency in, in Washington, D.C. My first job was uh, I, I got paid as a copywriter for 7200 bucks a year. And I, I wow. had a uh, my wife said she knew I was destined for the food service business because I had the corner, you know, the back uh, back office in the back of the wall. And there was a poster that was already there of a hamburger. You know, so she yeah. said, you know, I knew you were going to be a food service business. But anyway, I was in the agency business. I wanted to get an account work, which is the business side of advertising. And so I sent out after about a year and a half, uh, I sent out resumes, top 25 advertising agencies in the country. And I thought I was going to New York because most of them were in New York. But the first one I got a response to was in Pittsburgh, I catch McLaden Grove. And I went up there and got a job as the account executive for Rockwell Power Tools. And later, I was, later on, I was the account executive on Heinz 57 Sauce. And then I wanted to go to New York again, I thought. And I went up to New York and interviewed and got job offers. But I hated it up there. I didn't, I, you know, I was from the Midwest, small town America. Didn't yeah. feel comfortable in New York. Didn't have an MBA. I, I thought I was, they, they'd hold that against me. And I got this call out of the, the, out of the blue from a headhunter that says, what do you think about going to Dallas? And being the account executive on Tostitos, which was a Frito-Lay brand, a snack chip I'm sure you've had a lot of over the yeah, years, especially at, at, some of those. especially at parties. And, uh, you know, I went to Dallas, felt terrific about it, about it, took that job, started working on the Frito-Lay business. And Frito-Lay, fortunately, was a, a part of PepsiCo. Yeah. And so I worked my way up and I ran the Frito-Lay account. And I was in charge of the biggest piece of business, the agency, you know, before I was 30. And then the, uh, the head of uh, Frito-Lay said, Why, would you like to be the, become the head of marketing at Pizza? Because they had an opening. And he recommended me to Steve Reinemann, who later became the chairman of PepsiCo, but he was the president of Pizza Hut. So I go interview with Steve. Steve gives me the job and I move into PepsiCo. And, you know, we had great success turning that business around. Then I went to be executive VP of marketing sales from uh, for Pepsi. And uh, then I had a chief operating officer job. Then I got to be president of KFC and the rest is history. You know, and then I got to run Yum Brands. So that's quite a, sort of a long Yum Brands was, was it spun off at some point during there? Yeah. Yum Brands in 1997, PepsiCo made the decision to spin off uh, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell and KFC, the restaurants and make it a separate independent company. And it was initially spun off as Tricon. Tricon is the worst name in the history of uh, mankind, but it was supposed to mean three three icons. Tricon. Oh, Nobody clever. got Some that. Some people are overly clever. It sounds like a chemical company. Yeah, yeah. that's why I said I said it sounded like, always says industrial uh, cleaning yeah. company and didn't have any personality. And so I quickly changed the name to Yum Brands. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, which I think is a great corporate name and it's a great ticker symbol and all that. But uh yeah, it was. We were spun off. We were sort of the ugly ducklings of PepsiCo because the sales had been down, the returns on invested capital were not good, 
you know, the international business was a mess. So basically, you know, I inherited a turnaround, had the opportunity. I, I called it a gigantic do-over. But were you the one, did you first get them all when they were put together and spun out, like all, yeah. all at once? Okay. Yeah, myself and another guy, we were the co-founders of, of what is now Yum Brands. Uh, yeah. So what what was, other than, what was, those were several challenges, but I was going to ask you, what was the biggest challenge sort of you faced after stepping into the, the CEO role? Well, I think the biggest thing I had to do at, at the beginning, I think, you know, Napoleon said it, you know, the, the first responsibility of a leader is to to define reality and create hope. So I had to define reality and create hope. I had to like say, hey, look, there's a reason why we're spun off. It, you know, we're underperforming, you know, but that's the good news because we've underperformed. Once we turn this business around, you know, we can really get on a, a major growth trajectory, okay? And, and so I really, one of the first things I did was I sent out a letter to all of our leaders and team members uh, called the top 10 reasons why the new company is going to be a home run. This mm-hmm. is before we had a name and we were in a, uh, just getting ready for the spinoff. And I talked about all the all the things that we had that gave us the wherewithal to, to really ultimately create a very special company. And, you know, when we first were spun off, 20% of our business was outside the United States. When I, re- when I left in 2016, 80% of our business was outside the United States. So we built an international business. We we had to find the path to growth. And I, I felt international was the way to go. And in particular, China. China was a, a business where we had about, uh, you know, 100 restaurants, but the, the volumes and the profits were terrific in all of those restaurants. And obviously there are a lot of people in China and they loved our brand, they loved KFC. So I said, we're going to make that a major growth initiative. And I think today we have close to, you know, well, probably over 10,000 yum, yum restaurants in, in China between KFC and, and, and Pizza Hut. So you basically, interesting from a cultural standpoint, I'm curious, you, you inherited three brands. I mean, they were all sort of part of the Pepsi brand, but they were also all different brands that had different cultures. And so... Was yeah. that part of like your, we're going to have different companies or, 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 I mean, that really is like a culture change and we need to define who we are. We, we totally said we're going to have one culture. Okay. Okay. And what we did is we identified the characteristics of our, our top performing restaurants. And in those restaurants, there was a strong belief in people, strong sense of positive energy, customer focus, accountability, recognition existed. These were the major traits that that really drove the success of the restaurant. And we said, those are the the behaviors that we're going to build our, our culture around. And so that gave the culture real special meaning. What we wanted to do was have a, a culture that, that represented what really satisfied our customers at the restaurants. And, but the biggest thing that I did from a culture perspective is the, the number one thing I wanted to drive was recognition. You know, I wanted to make that our number one behavior because I had learned from my days running operations at Pepsi that that uh, that was a critical component to really get in the front line, excited about what they do. And so, you know, I when I was president of KFC, I gave away uh, rubber floppy chickens and I gave away cheese heads when I was president of Pizza Hut. Then I gave away walk the talk teeth when I was the CEO of Young Brands. But, you know, that's one thing. But that what really made it special is that everybody saw the power of recognition and then everybody else, you know, followed the leader and developed their own recognition awards. And we had recognition awards all around. Everybody had the same culture and recognition was the highest value that we uh, practiced and, and made prominent at, at young brands. And 
And our company at the end was renowned for recognition. We, we've been best practiced by many other companies on how we recognize people, how we build it into all of our systems. Fortune did a big article on us being the place for recognition. And uh, it was a lot of fun because, you know, it's great to, to create a really fun culture and get results. And we got tremendous results. We turned around the businesses. All of them got consistent same-store sales growth. Uh, you know, we, we really started opening up restaurants and, and adding new units and, and our returns on invested capital were leading in the industry. So it was pretty, pretty fun, fun, uh, fun business to be in. We had our problems and our challenges, yeah. but it was fun. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time, and it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space, and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am, and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate. Were you recognizing people for specific cultural values or behaviors, or was it just general recognition as as I'm a a, big believer. In fact, I I wrote a book on it on recognition and I'm a big believer in what I call purposeful recognition. You you need to figure out those behaviors that drive success in your organization will get you the right results you want and then recognize the heck out of those things. And guess what will happen? You'll see more of it and you'll get the results that you want to. So, so that's what we decided to do is what do we know would get results? Well, we knew customer focus, we called it customer mania would get results. We, we knew that innovation, you know, being, you know, having innovative ideas would get results. We, so we'd recognize around that having process and discipline around what really matters. You know, we, so we, you know, when people would do those kinds of things, that's what we recognize because we knew if we would get more of it, we would get great results. 
Yeah. And, 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 you know, there are a lot of companies, I, I can't think of the example, whether it's Paul O'Neill and the, the, where they just, a lot of times they picked one thing, like there was this one gateway habit that if they got everyone focused on it, then they would see other things improve. So yeah, yeah it sounds like you figured out which things mattered more than others. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, I was a big student of other companies and, you know, and leadership and we did best practice visits when we were spun off. We went to the top companies at the time. We went to to Southwest Airlines, Home Depot. Uh, I was actually just going to ask you, like, who who? What were some of your more memorable learnings and things you yeah. learned from other companies? Well, we went to Walmart and you know all these all the great companies at that point. Then, yeah. then more importantly, we came back and we codified them, and we created what I called the Yum Dynasty drivers. That if we did these kinds of things that the great companies would do, guess what? We would have great performance. What I was looking for was consistency. You know, the yeah. way you grow your stock price is you people can count on you getting the same, you know, great results every year. So we had our earnings per share growth was 13%, you know, for 13 straight years. So well, you don't want to be too, you know, you have, then you have the Bernie Madoff problem if you're too too consistent. No, no, no. <laughs> Our, ours was legitimate. We don't have any Bernie. There was no Bernie Madoff in us. You know, it, it, it was earned the hard way and it was real. Uh, he, he was sort of a, there's a little yeah. bit of a shell game with what Bernie did with his consistency. Well, I know I was joking that he was, it was, it was whatever the number was. It was every quarter, quarter after quarter, yeah. which is yeah. how well, they Well, Jack Welch did that too. Jack yeah. Welch always beat his numbers by 1%, you know, one, one penny a share on every quarter. Which one of those trips just stands out for you, like in terms of something you saw? Or... Well, I there were two. Uh, I love going to Walmart. Okay, Walmart. Uh, I learned some really great things by just learning about Sam Walton. He was he had passed, but people still talked about Sam Walton. But he had a great phrase: uh, "The more you know, the more you care." And he actually created the the internet before the internet. He created Walmart satellite TV. Yeah. So that he could literally go out and talk to every employee and tell them what he wanted to do and have them raise their hand. And he'd say, so help me, Sam. Okay. But it, it was unbelievable. The other thing I loved is the ownership that they had in the company. And, you know, I'll never forget the sign. And I actually put the same sign up in our, our restaurant support centers all around the world. Today's stock price is X. Tomorrow's up to you. Okay. And, you know, but they had a strong ownership mentality and I, and I love that. And then, I, I love going to Southwest Airlines. You know, I, Southwest <laughs> Airlines is is a great company, and and it was the kind of company that I wanted to build in terms of culture and mindset about the customer and the, and, and the people. But I I couldn't believe Southwest Airlines. I mean, people were kissing everybody back then. They would kiss each other on the lips. I mean, it was like yeah, you I know, couldn't I do think that they, today. But they, yeah. they, you don't think <laughs> you can do it today. But it was like you know. Love. Uh, that was their ticker too, right? Yeah, yeah. The love and the original advertising theme line when Herb Keller launched the business was spreading love all over Texas. Yeah. I mean, but the, it was a real family, yeah, uh, like environment. Everybody had pictures of of their uh, family members outside their office or something that showed what their personal life was about, and they had pictures of the history of the company. And I took all those things back to Yum and made our headquarters really great. What was great about all that was, you know, it's cheap to do, you know, yeah. framing pictures and all that kind of, it's, that's not expensive artwork like you find in most, uh, most corporate uh, settings, yeah. you know? So, you know, I love though, I loved what I learned at Southwest airlines, but what, what all of the great companies talked about more than anything uh, the number one dynasty driver that we codified was is that create a culture where everyone counts. No matter what level you are in the organization, you make a difference. And then we had four other dynasty drivers that we realized. Uh, the other was 
you know, they were focused on customer focus. I mean, it was just, you know, customer focus was critical. Uh, they exaggerated uh, their brand differentiation and everything that they did. They had consistent process and discipline around what really matters. And there was a consistent beat year ago mentality. So we'd call them our Yum Dynasty drivers. I sent out in 1999. I sound like an old relic here, but, you know, in 1999, I sent out on New Year's Day, you know, that we were going to build a Yum Dynasty and we were going to focus on the five things that we know drive consistent performance because of our business that we made to other great companies. And, you know, every year we focused on those dynasty drivers. Yeah, it's an interesting word. I mean, dynasty, that 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 sets the vision for for what you're going for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People knew what a dynasty was. You know, in fact, I teach my leadership program, Taking People with you, with you, which I wrote a book on called Taking People With You, how, how the only way to make big things happen. You know, we would talk about what dynasty means, you know, and, yeah. and, and you know, people would uh, come to the right kind of conclusions, obviously. So, so you're the right person to ask this question. And I'm curious to get your take from, from a leadership standpoint and, and values based on sort of what's going on in the world today, right? With Russia and you have, you know, all, all, huge pressure on businesses to just stop or announce they're stopping, which is frankly easier said than done. I, I Some of the people who have announced that they're not doing something, I'm, I mean, these are things that will take years to unwind. So I, I'm not sure they're just trying to get ahead of the the narrative now more than the reality. But I, I did see Yum, I think, said they're pausing in Russia. They're stopping KFC. Like as someone who helped build an international business and we now have this international marketplace, like what what do you think about this sort of moment <laughs> from a leadership standpoint and, yeah. and, and the reality of saying one thing and what is this? I mean, these are people's jobs. These are livelihoods, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, I'm not, you know, I'm not the CEO of Yum Brands anymore. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, so it's hard for me to speak about their their particular situation. I, I, I'm asking more from a you know someone yeah. international business in general. Well, listen, uh, you know, like two months ago, I had a a Zoom call with all the franchisees and leaders in Russia. They wanted me to speak as the past you know founder yeah. of the company and all that. And and I love these people. Yeah, they're fantastic. The general manager there's her name is Raja. She's fantastic. Her husband serves in the the Russian army. Okay. I mean, it's a very, it's complicated. very yeah. complicated thing. Okay. And, you know, I, I think that there's no playbook on this. Okay. From a leadership perspective, just like there was no playbook uh, on the pandemic. Yeah. But I think every company got focused on crisis management and crisis management is sort of the name of the game now. I mean, you know, things happen now, yeah. like it just, you know, <laughs> and so, I think everybody's situation is different. And as a leader, I think you got to understand what your situation is and then come up with what you think is the best way to go forward, admittedly, knowing that it's extremely complicated. You want to run your business well. You want to satisfy your customers. You've made huge investments to, to build a business. And and you everybody I think as a leader is eternally optimistic. Okay, you know you think yeah. things will get back to normal. So to think that you'll never do business in Russia again, you know that hurts. You know especially if you built a, a business there. But unfortunately, even though there are phenomenal people in Russia on the ground, and we have I think just sensational people in Russia, and I, I love visiting Russia. And, and our culture was very unique there because we did recognition and. and you know, yeah. that's a very tough culture, you know, but uh, we, we, we got the best people because, you know, yeah. we treated people really well and, you know, we built a hell of a business there. 
But the people are great. But the problem is, it's like anything else. When the leader is rotten at the top, you know, it spreads downhill. And, you know, here's a big problem. You know, you got a bad leader where there's probably, you know, where where I know there's a lot of really good people and they're going to suffer for it. I always say, show me a good leader and I'll show you a good business. I mean, the same goes true, I think, in in countries. And we got a terrible leader there. Okay. And we all know that. And uh, so it's a pretty tricky situation. I think a lot of a lot of companies can get out and get out with not a whole lot of pain. Then there are other companies that have a lot more pain, a lot yeah. more things that they have to unwind. And you know, so I can't really opine on anything without getting into the real specifics. The only thing I'd say is you got to get into the specifics and know what you have on your hand before you just say, "Hey, I'm doing this or I'm doing that." Yeah, the, I think the one thing that is different is is the it's the twenty and thirty year old consumer for sure, but they are you know, this element of cancel culture, which in some ways has worked positively, I think in this case of just, you know, being very vocal about where they're going to spend their dollars based on what uh, a company does. That's a new dynamic that a lot of leaders have to have yeah. to wrestle with. Yeah. There's no question about that. And uh, it's one of those things where I know a lot of the social media is being cut off and all that, but but it's hard for me to imagine how people in Russia don't understand why it's happening. Yeah. And whether they can do something about it is is different. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I don't think they're going to say, oh man, I'm never going to go to McDonald's again. Yeah. Okay. You know, because I think they know why it's happening. Okay. Yeah. You know, nobody can convince me that that isn't the case in this world. Well, you know, similarly, as someone who values leadership so much, you know, what what do you think the biggest leadership we have challenge we have today is? Well, you've got in the business world, I'll speak to that. Yeah. Okay? You've got almost 85% of the people say they're not engaged at work. That is just such an indictment on leadership. It's why my yeah. passion is really to try to make the world a better place by developing better leaders. Okay. It's why I write my books. It's why I write Take Charge of You. Okay. How self-coaching can transform your life and career. Because I, I literally, I want to help people get the coaching that they're not getting. And basically, coaching is the number one behavior people want from their their uh, bosses, but it's the last behavior they're getting. And, you know, 60% of people say that they aren't getting the coaching that they want at work. You know, almost 75% of people feel like they're not appreciated at work. I mean, it's terrible. I mean, the state of what leadership is in our country is as great as our country is. If you think about having 85% a lack of engagement, Think about that. That's a Gallup poll. Okay. Well, how did we get there? Are we, did we just? Well, I think it's because people are not creating cultures where everyone counts. I think it's where people are, are, are not getting people involved. You know, people, you know, we have too much top-down leadership. It, it's hard for me to imagine that these numbers can be so bad. Yeah. But they are. But the good companies, the great companies that have good cultures really stand out in this, this kind of environment. Um, but I think that's a big problem. It's just the lack of engagement. And I think that comes down to, to leadership. And, and I, I do think it comes down to, to culture and having respect for individuals. You know, over 80% of people don't have leadership development plans. And that, that ties pretty closely to the 80% that aren't engaged. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's a problem. So I, I, I think that uh, toxic leadership is ob- obviously an issue out there. And then when you look at our country, I don't think anybody feels like we have the best people in the world running running our government. Yeah. 
And, and, you know, why is that? Well, people get in there, they, they protect their jobs forever. You know, you, you get hammered by the media one way or the other, you know, your, your family gets exposed. People don't want to go through it. You know, the great people that I know who would be great leaders in our country, they don't want to go through the pain as you well know. So I still think we're one great leader away from getting our country back on track in terms of, you know, mindset. You know, we need somebody that can step up and 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 get people inspired by what America has to offer. And, and there's a person out there that can do it. You know, I don't know who it is, but I would never sell our country short on that. I think somebody will bubble up. But I don't think anybody could say in our lifetime or the last four or five presidents we've had have been outstanding. Certainly not. You're not going to get universal <laughs> praise well, on that. Probably so, never yeah. get that, but wouldn't I'd just like to get 65 percent? Yeah, wouldn't it be nice if 60 percent of the people, said, hey, people are great on anything yeah, these days? Yeah. I mean, that would be unbelievable, you know. <laughs> and I, I think it's possible, but you know, it's not something that uh, you know people would bank on right now. <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back with David. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Surfshark VPN. A VPN is a tool that improves your online privacy and protects you from hackers. How? It basically acts as a shield and hides your IP address. So everything you do online stays private. Whether it's reading the news, streaming a new show, listening to podcasts like this one, you name it. Plus, if you use a VPN, you can continue to use your favorite streaming services such as Netflix, Hulu, and Disney Plus as you travel, just like you were in your home location. Can't see a YouTube video because of your location? Use Surfshark VPN. Can't access that one website to buy limited edition sneakers? Use Surfshark VPN. Try Surfshark today totally risk-free with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Get Surfshark VPN at surfshark.deals/elevate. Enter promo code ELEVATE for 83% off and three extra months free. That's three extra months for free at surfshark.deals slash elevate. And we're back with David Novak. All right, so now I want to dig into your new book, uh, Take Charge of You, which you co-wrote with Jason Goldsmith. Uh, How'd you come to collaborate with Jason? Well, my passion is leadership development. And uh, that's what I got the most joy out of when I was running Young Brands. But I, I... I love my family. That's my second, you know, obviously my first passion. And I love golf. Okay. And Jason is a sports performance coach. And he took uh, Jason Day to number one in the world and Justin Rose to number one in the world, working with them side by side every week. 
And, uh, you know, I was introduced to him and I, I had him help me with my golf game. And believe me, I have not come close to being number one yeah. at anything. Okay. <laughs> but what we did learn is that we both have a passion for coaching. He coaches sports. I coach business. I wanted to write a book on coaching, but I wanted to do a book that would be different. And I thought if we teamed up, we could really come at it from a different, uh, different kind of vantage point. Because even though we are in different industries, he's in sports, I'm in business, you know, we both coach the same way. And what I wanted to do was to, to really show people, uh, give people a process that would help them coach themselves so they, they could solve this big problem out there that they're not getting the coaching that they want or they deserve. And in the title of the book is Take Charge of You because, you know, your life is too short to, to delegate to somebody else. You know, you need to take accountability for, for achieving whatever potential or whatever success you, you want to get for yourself and, and, and your family. But Jason and I became best friends. And, you know, I, I suggested we write a book and we came up with this self-coaching concept. And it's interesting, we came up with this idea before COVID, and we started writing this before COVID. Now, self-coaching is more timely, more, yeah. you know, more right on than ever before, because you've got so many people working virtually. So they're not even with their boss very often. And and the waiting list to get on any coach or therapist or anyone like it's is years. Yeah. Yeah, it's years. And, and people can't afford Jason. And they really can't, you know, um, they could probably afford me because I'm pretty cheap, but, you know, uh, they can't afford Jason. And, you know, it, my access to a person like myself is not that easy. So we thought, geez, you know, for 28 bucks, you know, we can give you some world-class coaching, you know, that'll help you help you uh, do great things. And everything we make on the book goes back into leadership development anyway, in my private operating foundation. So, you know, we just think that uh, the world really needs this and we can help people. We just want to help people, you know, achieve their dreams. What, what are some of the key questions you urge people to ask when they're coaching themselves? Well, the first thing I really believe in, you need to do is you need to have high self-awareness. You need to have a coaching conversation. Yeah. And the one way that we, which we, we love that really works is, is to write down first, all the things that block your joy. Okay. What are those things that take your joy away from your life? Then write down all the things that give you joy. What are the joy builders? Then look at how you're spending your life. Where are you spending your life at? What are you doing? Okay. If you, you look at how you spend your life and it's on the joy blocker side of the equation, you're not going to be happy for a, a very sustainable period. And why is that? Why? I mean, intuitively, you think, wouldn't think people do that. <laughs> well, why do what? You know, people become lawyers because their father was a lawyer, their yeah. grandfather was a lawyer. People go into finance because why everybody in New York goes in finance and gets an investment banking. People do things because other people think they should do it. Yeah. They, they don't think hard enough about what they want, what makes them tick. And, and that's why I think when you go through the process of, of looking at what really gives you joy and you can say, hey, this is basically the area that I want to go in. And it's not easy. You know, you're not just going to read the book and go, oh, okay, now I'm going to go do this. Yeah. You, you got to work through it. We have all kinds of exercises in the book that we use to help people self-discover and figure out for themselves what they need to do. But once you figure out the basic area that you think can give you the most joy, then we ask people to think about, we ask the question, what's the single biggest thing that can take you towards that joy? What's the single biggest thing you could do right now 
to get you. Probably quitting their job for a lot of people, right? Yeah. (laughs) The real problem with this whole great resignation thing and quitting your jobs is where do you go to? Yeah. I would, I think you have to quit your job with purpose. I still think we're going to have a great, great boomerang because I think there are a lot of people just like, look, it's been a tough two years and maybe, and and they're just want to do something different, but you know, when I hear a stat that 90% of people want to do something different, that just smells of the grass is greener. Yeah. And it isn't. Yeah. And, and how many people can really go do something different? Yeah. And and so what I'm saying, hey, if you want to go do something different, at least get focused on making sure that you do something that's going to get, you know be right for you. Different for the right reasons. Yeah. Not just different. Yeah. yeah. Different for the right reasons. And and I think that's what we can help people people get to. So the other thing you talk about uh, a little bit in the book is how consistent effort matters uh, most in improvement. I think for a lot of people, that's hardest to do. So what are some of the tips to help people stay on track? Is it sort of like a keystone habit, like make your bed, (laughs) you know, the the things that help (laughs) other habits like it it is. We all know the sort of 1%. I think it was James Clear who did the math that if you get 1% better every day, you get 37 times better over a year or something like that. Yeah. Well, that's like, you know. Tom Brady, I mean, 1% better every day, you know, yeah. the whole thing, you know, and all that makes sense. You know, I, I think one thing is you got to, you got to commit to constant improvement. You got to realize that, that that's going to be critical to your success. So it takes that, that commitment. But I really believe Robert, that is so important to go public, go public with whatever you're doing. You don't mean an IPO. Yeah. No, I don't mean a five <laughs> I'm saying go public. I mean, if you're going to, yeah. If you want to do this, if you want to head in this yeah. direction, tell everybody you're going to uh, do that. You know, like if you want to lose weight and that's going to get, tell people you're going to lose weight and then track it, track your progress. Okay. Anybody that's ever lost weight or or ever really changes something, you track your behavior, you track, you know, that's why all these places recommend that you have a journal, you know, that you write yeah. down what you ate, when you ate, when you worked out. And, and boy, all of a sudden you go, this is kind of fun. I did this today. Boom. I knocked it off today. I knocked it off today. I knocked it off today. And, you know, all of a sudden then you got a habit. And I, I think that it's important to have repetition to, to get a habit. Yeah. Two, two comments on that. Um, there's a story I share someone on our team. We helped our team with personal goal setting uh, a couple of years ago. One of the retreats that we were doing around thinking about what they wanted, putting it out there. Again, what are the things that they they enjoy? And, they, and one of the lessons was, yeah, put it out in the world. And so, you know, one of the, the women printed out something, a camera or a course and said, like, I'm going to take photography lessons the next year. She had been wanting to do it forever. She put it up her office. So lo and behold, her husband walks in three weeks before Mother's Day. And this is like, you know, <laughs> He's like, oh, well, now I know what I'm getting you for Mother's Day, and so he, you know, this is not what she, not not why she did it, but he, you know, he saw it and he he got her a camera, and so it was yeah. just even an interesting example of just even putting it out in your little world, uh, the the things that happen. Yeah, you know, and and I think putting it out there is important, and really thinking about it and writing it down is important. I I, I one of the exercises we have is what we call our our three by five exercise, you know, on a three by five card, basically write down, what are you today? What do you, what do you want to be tomorrow? And, you know, I do that every January. And when I was at Young Brands, I had our top 50 leaders do me, do their three by five card and share it with me and share it with their team and ask other people to hold them accountable to, to getting it done. Okay. And, you know, 
I put my three by five card on the refrigerator every day. So I see it. I mean, you know, I'm a little sick in that regard, but you know, uh, you know, I want to keep it front and center so that I keep my objectives uh, uh, clear and that I make sure I stay on track. I think the more you can keep things, you know, in your face, the, the better. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. I think you sort of answered it, but I'll let you <laughs> answer it more clearly in, in self-coaching the accountability is, is a big piece. So how do you, you know, wh- where does that come from? Does it come from writing stuff? To, I mean, do you, do you think people need peer accountability or can they really be accountable to their themselves? Yeah. It's interesting. I do my own podcast, how leaders lead with David Novak. And, and I interviewed top CEOs, top sports figures, you know, and every one of them is really good at defining reality for the business and what needs to be done. Yeah. And every one of them is really good at, at getting self-awareness, okay? You know, and figuring out how they need to improve their own performance. I'm talking about the top, the, the best yeah, of the best, yeah. okay? You know, I, I think that, that that's where it all really starts, okay, is, is a commitment to, to knowing yourself. You got to know yourself and then grow yourself. When we talk about self-coaching, we're not saying that you have to go it alone, Okay. But what you want to do is figure out where you want to head and then seek guidance and seek what I call assistant, what we call assistant coaches, okay, (laughs) in the areas of where you want to focus. Like, for example, when I was uh, became CEO of Yum, I'd never uh, had any experience dealing with the investment community. So I thought, who can help me there? No one told me to do this, but I knew it was an issue. So I, I said, I'm going to use my contacts and try to see if I can get in to have a meeting with Warren Buffett. So I went to see Warren Buffett in 1998. And you saw didn't have it. to win like an auction. No, I didn't win an auction. Yeah. Thank God for that. I couldn't, you know, but I went every year, every fall. And the first time I went, I talked to him about investment and that's how to handle investors. And he said, you know, David, people are going to, you, you know, you're very passionate about your business. You love it, you know. But people are going to really uh, respect you even more and believe you even more and trust you even more if you tell them what can go wrong in your business. Okay. And it's what, and I think what he was telling me was to be what I call sober selling. You know, it's like, yeah, you can be passionate about your babies. You can be passionate about Taco Bell, pizza, and KFC, but start telling them what could go wrong. And, you know, I started doing that after I met with Warren. And all of a sudden, investors were saying, yeah, but it's not really going to happen because this, that, that. But they trusted me because they could see that I could, I was looking at the whole picture. And, you know, but I wouldn't have gotten that if I hadn't have, uh, have didn't have the self-awareness to do that I needed some help dealing with investors. And I, I was lucky to go to the best person that in the world to give me some good advice. Knowing what you don't know is, is important. Yeah. Yeah. And if you have high self-awareness, you know what you don't know. Well, you've mentioned this a few times, and, and my friend Tasha, you're like who's written a couple of books on self awareness, sa- says that seventy percent of us think we're self aware, and the real number is only like twenty percent. So, yeah. how does one determine that in your in your yeah. book if they're self aware? Yeah. Well, I, I think the way how you determine it is you you have to really want to be self aware. Yeah. The problem is a lot of people just give it to. It's what she's saying is people get it's lip service. You know. They, they don't really want to know. Like, for example, if you're running a company and you go out, and I used to do this all the time, I'd go out and say, uh, do you have any advice for me? They go, oh, no, you're doing a great job. They go, oh, thank you. I'd say, I go, <laughs> oh, 
Uh, <laughs> and, and most people go, thank you, and they move on. But then you got to go, well, do you, do you have any advice for it? And then you go, oh, you're doing a great job. Ask them three times or more. Or what, what could I do better? Yeah, or what could I do? But, but yeah. to ask them, that's, you know, I always, my favorite question in business is, is uh, what would you do if you were me? Okay. And if you ask that question more than once until you finally get some answers, you'll get some answers and you'll, you'll get more and more aware, but you, you got to have a growth mindset. You got to have the mindset that you want to be self-aware. You know, yeah. I, I think a lot of people do put their head in the sand and they don't want to go through the conflict, the personal conflict and, and hear this stuff, you know, and they're really not that self-aware. And I agree with what I bet those percentages are pretty close. Yeah. I can see that. So, David, last question for you. This is a multivariant question. So it can be singular or repeated, and it can be personal or professional. But what's what's a mistake you've made that, that you learned the most from? I, I think I've made a lot of mistakes. And I think that the thing that I've, I learned the most from all of those is that I can't let my passion and enthusiasm for my ideas get ahead of the, re, the reality of what it is. And I can't let my passion and enthusiasm overwhelm other people. You know, when you, when you have power and passion and enthusiasm, it's a great thing. You can inspire people, but it's also, you can scare the hell out of them. Yeah. And you cannot listen to them because you're such a heat seeking missile. You can't wait to get your great idea done. And you end up realizing that it's not such a great idea. And, you know, my greatest example of that, that I always talk about is Crystal Pepsi. You know, when I was running marketing at Pepsi, I came up with the clear cola, called it Crystal Pepsi, w- w- was a heat-seeking missile to get it on the Super Bowl, got great test market results. It was featured on uh, CBS Evening News by Dan Rather. Today, Pepsi-Cola is launching Crystal Pepsi. I thought I was a genius, okay? But the Pepsi-Cola bottlers told me it needed to taste more like Pepsi. And I thought they just didn't get it. Okay. Well, we launch it. We drive tremendous trial. You know, everybody tries the product, but the repeat is very low. Why? Didn't taste enough like Pepsi. It needed to have a a little bit more Pepsi-Cola flavor in it. And if I would have taken the time to do that, I think that product could still be around today because it was a great idea, poorly executed. It is around today. It's what everyone's selling today, right? (laughs) You know, yeah. But but that's what I'm saying. It's like... uh, you know, but that's a classic example of where a great example. My, my passion and enthusiasm didn't allow me to listen to what the real barriers were and, and deal with them. That's a great story. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> so, David, where can people find more about you and your work? Yeah. Well, uh, for our book, you can go to takechargeofyou.com. You can buy the book wherever uh, you typically buy your books. Um you know, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, David Novak Ogo. Uh, I always try to do a daily inspiration uh, message on Twitter and always post all my podcasts on, on Twitter as well. So that makes it easy for you. Um, and, uh, you, you know, you can go to David Novak Leadership and HowLeadersLead.com to take a look at some of the other uh, initiatives and programs that we have. Awesome. Well, David, thank you for joining us. Your passion for uh, learning and leadership is definitely infectious. Okay, thank you. And I appreciate what you do to, to try to bring uh, values forward and elevate them in our country. So thank you. Thank you. Well, you can learn more uh, about David and we'll post links to his book and everything we just spoke about on the episode page at robertglazer.com. 
If you enjoyed today's episode of the Elevate podcast or you listen to the podcast in general, I'd really appreciate a quick favor. And that is leaving us a review because it helps new users discover the show and the same content. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, all you have to do is click on the library icon, click on Elevate and scroll down to the bottom to leave a rating or review. Thanks again for your support. And until next time, keep elevating. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.